0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: On some level, we've totally neglected primal communication because like, you know, Cesar Milan can't communicate with a dog with words. We've neglected that um, there's an entire conversation happening between bodies that you cannot speak over. You can talk, 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 say say powerful things, say uh, disempowering things, do whatever you want, but you can't neglect that level of communication.
0: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
2: Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be.
0: We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Kasha, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure.
0: Yeah. So I was introduced to you by way of Bob Gower, and when he told me a little bit about what you did, I was very, very intrigued. And I almost never start an interview with this question, but given what you do, I figure it would be an interesting way to start. So when people ask you the question, what do you do for work, what do you tell them? How do you explain what you do?
1: Well, if I'm speaking Mm one-to-one, I have a lot of freedom in how I approach that answer. But in this case, i best be broad. Um, (laughs) I teach power to women, Uh um, and I have a school where a lot of the focus is breaking apart or seeing through the patterns that are usually invisible, specifically around women's behavior Uh and their approach to getting what they want.
0: Okay. So I guess the, the question is, how? what's the path to, to sort of ending up in that line of work? Like, I don't imagine that you know you open a career guide and say, you know what, this is exactly what I want to do.
1: Yeah, it was a total accident. I, uh, <laughs> I spent about uh, 17 years being a professional dominatrix, a very okay. successful one,
5: uh-huh.
1: in New York and other places in the world, and um, for the first years, the only reason I was doing that was because... I knew how to make really good money, Mm -hmm. and I was pursuing a path uh, as a Taoist, so my dream was to be a Taoist nun. Uh, I got as close as four days away from ordination, but um, fate had other plans for me. What I noticed over the years was that what I was learning about um, Taoist martial arts, Taoist healing, energetic practices, how to read a body. Um, how to see when somebody is uh, collapsing in on themselves or ready to attack or um, energetically, behaviorally doing something that reflects uh, what they're at and, and how and how uh, the human body communicates with other human bodies in that sphere. And as I was studying, I started realizing that in the dungeon where I'm paid to have power over a man... Um, a lot of those same ways of being would show up. A lot of the same patterns that men have, that women have, would show up. And this only amplified when I started being hired to train other dominatrixes in dungeons. And we're talking about like 18, 19-year-old girls who don't quite know why they're there. Mm. And they're supposed to act like they have power over a man. And that um, getting them to a place where they're actually doing what it is that they're supposed to do versus looking like what they're supposed to do Uh, was where all the stuff from my Taoist training started coming into play and the number one thing was where they placed their attention Mm -hmm. so yeah so that's how that's that's how that started i mean over years yeah so two
0: questions um one what misperceptions do you think that people have about the types of people who do this work and what misperceptions do you think that we have about the types of people who are clients of this kind of work
1: You know, in a weird way, I am probably least able to speak about BDSM uh-huh. because when I worked as a dominatrix, it became such a singular thing. Like I ended up having so little contact with other people in the BDM scene, and what I what I ended up doing was so specific uh-huh. that that I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Uh, one thing that I know that happened for me is um, I stopped very quickly looking at. Uh, doms and subs as separate from people who are not interested in anything kinky. So I'd see a power dynamic in the workplace or in a relationship, and I would see people trying to dom and sub to each other in exactly the same ways that I would have seen in a session.
0: Wow. and um, I- So just out of curiosity, I mean, I don't know how much of this you can I mean, what are the types of people who come to this work, uh, both men and women? I mean, from from both perspectives, like, do they come from all walks of life? Are they people who like, you know, in their normal? Is this like an alternative personality for them? Or? uh, I'm just curious, like, are they people who we, you know, are interacting with on a daily basis and wouldn't even know it?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's people that we're interacting with on a daily basis and wouldn't even know it. But I think it also speaks to a larger thing that's happening in the world, because especially at the time where I was starting out, um, I feel like a lot of the men that came to me, of course, they were men that had money Mm -hmm. and IT was growing fast. It was like IT people, Wall Street people, uh, contractors, um, a lot of Hasidic Jews. Uh, It was really... um, It really felt to me like it was about how, in order to become a man and be a man in the world, Mm -hmm. even the term man up means to a certain extent disconnecting from your feeling sense. Like, not just your emotions, but the part of you that feels things out. And what I started noticing is that women um, have, tend to have, such a intense connection with their feeling sense and the emotions that result, that it becomes really difficult for them to even know what to do with them, given that there isn't enough place for them to not just express them and have them, but to use them well. So one of the things that I started noticing is that um, the difference between being an agency in its relationship in a power dynamic. So like, when you're raising kids, and you have a little girl and a little boy, the tendency has been that uh, any praise towards the girl has to do with her beingness. Look how nice Mary's being. Look how pretty she looks. Uh, The attention is on Mary, where if it's a boy being raised, there's this tendency to um, approve of his agency over his being. So it's not like, look how well-behaved and how nice Billy's being. It's like, look what Billy did. And that has... uh, over time, I think an impact on how we identify ourselves in the world as are, as whether uh, we are how we seem and how we're being, or whether we are good or bad based on what we're able to accomplish.
0: So what is it that brings people to, you know, this whole BDSM scene, like, you know, to to go in to hire dominators or even hire somebody like you? What kinds of things in their lives cause them to come to somebody like you that that you've seen? Like, what is the the sort of motivation behind it?
1: Um, You know, the reasons are so varied that I don't think that there's a pattern to them. I mean, really, like, one of the reasons that i've transitioned away from being a dominatrix and into teaching about power and power dynamics is i think that there's this general overall situation where um men want to know how to feel more and women want to know how to do more with what they feel mm. and that was pretty much a, a a laboratory for me to discover that and then learn how to apply it to uh power dynamics to power dynamics and teaching it in various places, like whether it's in my school or whether it's at Yale or whether it's um, you know, corporate environment or whether it's regarding an intimate relationship between a man and a woman who are stuck in a marriage they can't stand anymore and don't know why. Mm-hmm. Or uh, people who are having the same familial, vicious cycle argument over and over again and feel trapped and want to get out. And what they can't see is that they're they're totally in a collapsed power dynamic.
0: Okay, so I think that that really sets up what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about, which is sort of this whole power dynamic and how it comes into play. Um, I'd love for you to walk us through sort of the foundations of of what, you know, actually being able to be powerful uh, involves for somebody.
1: Okay, so I'm going to use a a, a metaphor directly from the dungeon, right? I'm a dominatrix. Say, put me in that dungeon with a man who's naked on all fours. And um, say he wants a spanking. There's going to be the smack that's a little too light and over time that's going to irritate him. There's gonna be the smack that shuts his body down so he can't feel more. And then there's gonna be the smack that's just right, that makes his body light up and makes him feel more. Um, In any given power dynamic, the connection between the two people works best when you can find that right sized smack. Um, the place where I think people get really screwed in power in general, isn't how they deal with resistance. Um, say you want to influence somebody, you want to convince them of something. Um, this, this happens very, very, very quickly in my classes when I, ask my, when I ask the women in the class to ask somebody else for something. Women do not want to ask. They do not want to ask, especially if it's meaningful to them, especially if it's something really important. They do not want to ask for anything. And the, one of the main reasons for that is they're afraid of hearing no. The first sign of resistance equals total invalidation. And um, the thing is that in terms of resistance, there's generally two ways that people deal with it. They either try to crush it or they run away. And then there's this middle way of dealing with resistance where you get curious about what's going on. So somebody says no and you get curious about what their no is about. And suddenly you end up in a situation where you have a person who can actually trust you enough to give you more of their world so that you understand what's behind the no and you can find a way to get either a yes or you can get something else. And, um, the, the thing about, um, women in power dynamics in specific is that they're so used to putting attention on themselves that they don't know how to, they don't even know that they're not doing this, putting attention on the other person past the no past the point of resistance to get into their world and feel them out and see what's actually there to find a place where they can meet. Cause the place where they meet is the equivalent of the right sized slap,
0: what about men in power dynamics? Like, what are their tendencies that you've noticed?
1: Men have been told to man up so long, and for millennia have had to go to war and shut off their feelings in order to be men. That uh, a lot of times men will uh, tend to be in in the power dynamic structure DOMs, which means they put their attention out on what they want. They put their attention out, and um, if somebody's a DOM over a long period of time, they they risk losing connection with their own feeling sense. So that means that they can do and do and do, influence, 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 have power over, have power over, but not actually be present to the results that are getting created. And that looks like tyrannical force. I mean, the, the, the metaphor for that is any tyrannical government is a bad dom. Um, so, so men are encouraged into this position where they're at the equivalent of dictators that will by force try to create the results that they want And that's not a sustainable model of power. It doesn't work. There's so many reasons why it doesn't work. We've seen it through history that what results is a rebellion where the coup that replaces the dictator ends up being exactly the same as the dictator in the first place. And it doesn't include influence. And to have influence, you need to have a feedback pattern. So when you put your attention out in order to achieve a particular result, especially in a dyad with two people, right? The dom puts attention on the sub finds the point of resistance and gets curious about it, then you stand a chance at having actual influence. So where where men will collapse a power dynamic is that they'll stop feeling the feedback or they won't know that they're off the mark. And um, for women, they'll think that they are expressing themselves exerting power, but what they're saying, what they're doing with their energy, with their body language, with their vocal projection, doesn't actually reach the other person, doesn't land in the body of the other person, nor does it um, create a situation where the other person feels like they can trust with their whole body what's being said and follow. So uh, self-consciousness is one way of calling what what it looks like, but a lot of it for me is just the habit pattern of having intention in. Mm
0: You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about this because, you know, when, you, when I have thought of inf- influence and persuasion in the past or, you know, the way it's presented in, in a lot of sort of social psychology and material is that it ends up being sort of a zero-sum game where one person gets what they want and the other person doesn't. But, you know, what, you, what you're describing to me doesn't sound like a zero-sum game at all. It sounds like a power dy- creating a power dynamic where everybody's actually better off.
1: Absolutely. And in in the classes that I teach, one of the main things that um, one of the reasons I teach women to be able to be better subs and better DOMS is because when there's when you're in a situation in power dynamic where somebody's Doming you badly, right? They're like trying to exert control or force and it's not hitting the spot, it's not creating anything. There's nothing but resistance, right? Even if it's a even if it's a boss that's barking orders and missing the gifts, the true gifts of the employees, trying to force them into something that doesn't work then it's the job of the sub to learn how to switch. And switching dynamics is crucial. And if you watch any casual conversation that feels good, what you'll notice is that Dom and Sub is totally switching fluidly all the time. You have somebody who is speaking and speaking into the listening of another person. Then you have a person who's listening and then can feel the moment where it's time to switch. And it's, it's, it's that level of um, uh, subtlety that I think is really important in understanding power dynamics in general. Like when women really wanna exert themselves as powerful and dominant, what they usually do is the equivalent of self-detonation. They have all their attention in, they start screaming and their energy is still not reaching anybody. Everybody else around is just getting hit with shrapnel. She's not actually reaching, feeling, and moving things in the other person.
0: Okay, so you know, I think what I want to talk about now is, is, you know, how do you create favorable power dynamics in, in different contexts? You know, we, we've really kind of looked at it from, you know, men and women. I'm curious, in the context of sort of mating relationships, even in the early phase of a relationship, I'm curious kind of, you know, how do you create a favorable power dynamic and also, you know, find this balance between not coming across needy, but not being so aggressive that you scare somebody off um, because you seem crazy. And then I, I'd like to look at it also through the lens of leadership and business.
1: Okay. Um, so this might sound a little bit weird, but one of the most important pieces I got was um, when I was working in a dungeon and I was reading Cesar Milan's book, um, uh, The Dog Whisperer, <laughs> on Dog Training. And there's this whole section about how um, human beings forget that their dog is an animal, It's like primarily an animal and a dog, uh-huh. and then a breed. And then a name, like they look at their dog and they're like, look, there's Tinkerbell, right? And they forget the absolutely primal animal realities of the dog. And I was reading this and uh, I suddenly felt like that's exactly the same with humans that on some level we've totally neglected primal communication. Cause like, you know, Cesar Milan can't communicate with a dog with words. We've neglected that um, there's an entire conversation happening between bodies that you cannot speak over. You can talk, 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 say say powerful things, say uh, disempowering things, do whatever you want, but you can't neglect that level of communication. And um, In terms of mating and relationships, um, it becomes really simple from the perspective of women and for the, from the perspective of men in different ways. Uh, women need to ask for what they feel, right? They're connected to their feeling sense, to the animal of the body, right? They feel when they're safe, they feel when they're in danger, and they feel when they long for something. And breaking the taboo over voicing those things and voicing those things well in such a way where the fear of no no longer exists uh, I mean, how many, if not you personally, how many people do you know that have been in relationships where the where the guy's like, I would totally do anything to make this woman happy if I had a fucking clue as to what it was? <laughs> or how many times how many times has a guy gone out of his way to meet a woman's request uh-huh. and did not exactly feel her light up when when she got it? Yeah. Chances are it's because before that request came out of her mouth, it was already compromised. It wasn't the exact thing that she was feeling. She negotiated through her system depending on what what she thought she could get away with or what she thought she could get a yes to so she, she wouldn't get a no. Mm-hmm. And when th- that level of self-censorship in a male-female dating, mating relationships dynamic – eventually kills it or makes it suck like regardless like that's a primary point she can feel things she wants things and if she negotiates with with herself before speaking it's already dead it's already screwed because there's already unfulfilled things that exist in her system that over time are going to become more irritable she won't even know why she's unhappy why she's being critical why she's being passive aggressive she won't know Mm -hmm. and so that's like the first 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 basic thing and um teaching a woman how to deal with the resistance that a man might present is super important so that she's not afraid to ask anymore. And for, for a guy, for a guy, um, you know, I don't teach men, uh, Mm -hmm. but if most men could understand what a woman goes through just to be okay with what she wants and what it takes for her to get it out of her system and to like speak it into space, And then to have it heard, he would would stand a chance at having the satisfaction of being the man who can totally light a woman up by honoring the simplest request. And not standing for the first, most compromised, self-negotiated,
6: spoken version of that ask. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full, important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
2: Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R slash podcast. A. Weber, Simpler Email Marketing.
3: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing from step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com/wondersuite.
5: Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
4: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare insurance plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're say between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare insurance plans at uh1.com.
0: Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age? Do you find that men have a, a similar challenge? Because I'm just thinking of this with the lens of some of my own experiences with this, where I feel like I've compromised on, on numerous things. Where I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm not good with this, but I'm willing to put up with it.
1: You mean compromise in asking for things, or yeah, compromise in, things in like or reacting being, to
0: things, being passive aggressive? Like, you yeah, know, it's funny when you described all of that. I was like, I think I've done every one of those things in relationships.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, also the the. Um, in a lot of ways to to uh, build a curriculum or to teach, I have to use a lot of stereotypes and broad strokes, but the truth is that, like, the same things that women are going through, men are going through in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because gender, what we understand gender to be, is collapsing. But we still have very uh, old-school gender, like, psychic education, if you know what I mean. You know, like, uh, now a guy has to worry about being, like, like... Where a woman has to worry about sounding bossy or needy, mm-hmm. a guy has to start worrying about the same shit. He's like, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be one of those toxic masculine types, but I don't want to be a wuss either. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are both fears of going dom and sub. Those are, it's the same thing. It's like you don't want to put your attention out too aggressively and miss. Especially these days, and especially as a man, because a woman probably won't tell you when you're getting it wrong. A woman won't even tell you if you're ha- having sex with her and it hurts. Like this is a, it's it's everywhere. It's all over the place. But then, if you become too sensitive and too passive, and you let things slide and you let things build, your own resentment grows, and you feel pretty weak. So it totally applies to to men. Um, the only reason I don't speak so bravely about it is because I haven't had the experience yet of teaching men, aside from the men who come to volunteer for the school, who are a wonderful group of men who come in just so that we can practice and experiment on men.
0: <laughs> I guess, you know, for, for me, I mean, I, like, like I said, I, I kind of have seen both tendencies in my own life to either pull away completely when I'm like, okay, I'm going to end up seeming too needy or to be the complete opposite. I'm curious how you find the balance.
1: the balance between the two? I don't, I I go for doing both extremes really well. Mm -hmm. So like needy would mean your energy, your being, your entirety is withdrawing, you're going inward. So I would say if you're feeling needy, go even further into the direction of that and feel exactly the totality of what it is that you want get to a place where you feel legitimate about wanting it, not necessarily having the other person provide it for you, but getting right with that you want it and allowing yourself to enjoy the hell out of how wonderful it would be to have that. And then, you know, in the presence of the person who you want um, to uh, provide it for you, be really transparent and describe what it's like, describe what the feeling is, describe how wonderful it would be. And that's a submissive request. That's a submissive ask. Or when you've just fucking had it and you want to lay down the law and you want to be bossy, then go all out and be like, look and put the attention on the other person. Instead of going, I'm really hurt. Go, you're doing this and it's causing this And, and, and now, now I want you to do this. I want you to, you're going to do this other thing. You're going to try it this way and this way. And then you watch, see if resistance comes up and then get curious about it. Uh, Oh, this person said no, or they got scared. did I scare you? Did that, did that request make you feel uncomfortable? Why did it make you feel? Is there anything I can do to make you feel safe right now? So. Is there a way that, and you keep going, you keep going. It's the place in the middle where you're squeezing your emotions into a tiny little place and you're pretending that your own personal desires don't matter, but wanting them anyway will make you needy. Or when you're squishing all of that shit in and what you really want to do is have influence over somebody and you try, it's not going to land. It's not going to not only is, is it not going to land, you're not going to be present enough to their experience to be able to take care of them and influence them there. So you make choices, right? And sometimes when you don't know which one to do because you have the feeling of both, miracles happen when in the span of a single conversation, you can try one, then try the other, then try the other again. And not in the same sentence. Uh, giving each enough time just so you can watch the body of the other person, see how they respond, watch them process it, and see what it is that they need. Do they need to be told what to do? Do they need to be given instructions on how to get from point A to point B? Or do they need to witness you in your totality and your desire and your feeling? And then just, and then act accordingly in, in, from a place of inspiration or from a place of, of having witnessed you. It's really about the collapse of those two things, especially when two people are collapsed at the same time. Both people are feeling needy. Both people are feeling bossy. Both people are pretending that they don't want as much as they want. Both people are trying not to invade the space of the other too much. It, it just ends up being such a mess and people hurt each other inadvertently in that in that sense. Mm-hmm.
0: So what has been the impact uh, of this work on the relationships and the lives of, of the people you've worked with uh, from the context of relationships?
1: Oh, it's been incredible. I mean, it's been incredible. I mean, everything from uh, the most unconventional polyamorous situations to um, the mo- returning to the most traditional form of marriage. To I mean, m- more more than anything, uh, being able to see a relationship as a continuing evolution, where the uh, where the um, the rules need to always be changing. They need to be set, but they need to be changing because people evolve and people need to update each other um, it's, it's been such a privilege and so much fun to watch and so much fun to experiment with these women and see what they're, what they come up with, with their families and their husbands or their boyfriends and their love affairs and their harems of slaves, whichever direction they want to go in.
0: (laughs) Uh, well let's, let's talk about this in the context of of business and leadership, because I think that's another really interesting place where power dynamics play out. And I am curious kind of, um, you your work has shown in that area and, and sort of what have been the outcomes that you've seen. And, and, you know, if you're talking to business leaders, what are the kinds of things that you tell them about power dynamics?
1: The, um, I'm sort of monomaniacal about this. (laughs) So for me, the lens of power (laughs) dynamics influences everything from childcare, uh, pet training, uh, uh, big multinational affairs, the presidential election. You better believe I was watching those debates, being like, <laughs> oh, "Oh, why did why did he go dumb? Bad Dom, stop, stop, Dom!" Uh, so, like, to me, to me, this is about humans being able to communicate on a level that where, where their words match their most primal communication. And when I speak in um, very business-oriented situations, or in military situations, which I'm proud to say. I got to do. Um, One of the best examples is uh, the interview, the job interview. That's a good one. I'll tell you about that one. So um, when I was working with uh, students who were about to graduate Yale from the School of Management Um, They had a lot of questions about how to be with recruiters and how to be in business situations, uh, business interviews, job interviews. And so we role played a bunch of interview scenarios and the pattern became really, really evident what worked, what didn't work. Um, the, The inclination when you're in the chair across from somebody who you want to give you a job is to go sub, right? To put all the attention on yourself to talk about your achievements, your accomplishments, and, and you see this even, you can feel it in the room. It's, it's so hard to write about and talk about this stuff because it becomes so apparent that the, the weight of attention and energy is on the sub, that attention's always on the sub. And so here you are interviewing for a job, talking about yourself, and if you switch for a moment, if you switch and go Dom, and ask the person who is interviewing for a job, some intelligent questions, put attention on their needs, the power dynamic shifts so fast and it ends up being connected in a way that um, wouldn't be normally if the power structure wasn't um, able to have fluidity. So, I mean, we have lots of scenarios with like women who are afraid to ask for a raise and scenarios where like the woman in the meeting thing where a woman's in a meeting and she says or she says something, and um, five minutes later, a guy says the same thing, mm. and everybody hears it from the guy, but they don't hear it from the woman. Um, so a lot of the coaching that I do around that has to do with, yeah, sure, there's sexism, but if you watch what tends to happen, not always tends to happen when a woman is speaking, her idea, her attention and her sphere of attention is very small and enclosed around herself. And the bodies of the other people in the room can't feel what she's saying. And then the guy says it and it's almost like he scores the goal. And because he scored the goal, it doesn't matter that she said 75% of it already, he gets the victory. It's like that the, the habit pattern of men in situations like that specifically is they're so good at making sure that their voices land, that their attention lands, that the whole room feels like it's vibrating to the sound of his voice, that it's almost inevitable that there would be a dissatisfaction in the room if the woman had said it the way that a woman in that situation tends to say it, and then the guy didn't follow up to make a slam dunk
0: interesting you know it's i think the the really interesting thing to me is when you're talking about sort of shifting the the dynamic from the attention being on you and and trying to sort of qualify yourself to this person who's interviewing you to to asking them questions and listening I don't remember what chapter it was, but it was one of the the chapters in the Forty Eight Laws of Power. R- R- Robert Greene talked about the power of silence and how it, it creates this very interesting sort of space where people will actually fill it, and you'd be amazed what they'll tell you. It's and it you know it's something that I've learned as an interviewer too.
1: That's so cool. That's one of the exercises we do in the school too. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's now let's both be quiet and see who speaks. First. <laughs> see who speaks first.
0: <laughs> let's see who's going to break the stalemate. Um, yeah, I'm. So, what have you seen in terms of, of outcomes in the lives of people in terms of their careers? Have they like gotten promotions, like climbed the ranks? I'm, I'm really curious, kind of uh, what they've done in that aspect of their lives with all of this.
1: Um, let's see. There's one woman who was um, working for a nonprofit that she really cared about, but the thing was a mess. She was doing the job of two people waiting for the other person to get hired, who never got hired. Um, So she ended up being in a situation where she was literally doing the job of two people, having one title and the pay of one person. And um, throughout throughout the workshop, we worked on her creating a series of asks that would have her use the colleagues that she had um, to create teams and make requests of her boss that ended up creating not just that she had twice as much pay or got compensated for doing the job of two people, but that she got her own division and ended up having a position that would have been much, much higher than the equivalent of those two positions combined. And that was really fun. Like These things are great because sometimes in a power dynamic – situation the irritation or the problem can be really really small but so so ubiquitous that it it makes the life of the person working in that company miserable and the solution's really simple or it can be like the first example i just mentioned where it's like a game of pu- it's like a puzzle puzzle piece game like one request after another mm. and all of a sudden you have this entire new side of an enterprise and a very much more powerful position
0: mm. You know, it's interesting to to hear you talk about this. I think back to uh, a part of my career where I was, like, truly miserable because I was working with an abusive salesperson and a boss who just seemed to have it out for me. So much so that he even threw me under the bus on his way out the door. I mean, I ended up leaving that company before I was about to be fired. But I kind of wonder, looking back at this, if I knew, you know, what I know now from having conversations with people like you, if I'd understood power dynamics, I could have, you know, turned that situation to work in my favor. I wonder... Yeah, what I mean, you would have done. well, I mean, I'm curious. So, so let's say that you're dealing with somebody who's abusive at work and just making your life miserable. And you have a boss that you just can't stand, you know, which is the scenario that I was in. What would your work enable somebody like me to do in that situation?
1: Well, then I'd have to get a little bit more specific with you. What was he doing? Well, what's abusive
0: mean? Uh, so lots of things. I mean, preventing me from going to conferences and stuff when everybody on the team was there, but I was told to stay in the office. That was one of them.
1: Did uh, you ask him why?
0: No, I didn't. Um, I was chained to a desk pretty much all the time. Uh, I was very rarely allowed to be in client meetings, even though I could communicate extremely well. And then there was another moment where uh, rather than, you know, even though I I had to take over for a salesperson, rather than applying for the job, they found somebody from the outside rather than asking me to apply for the job. I mean, just over and over. I mean, you know, on some level, I hated the job. So that probably wasn't, uh, you know, anything I could hide.
1: Did you bear all of this in, in relative silence?
0: Yeah, more or less.
1: So, I mean, there's 100,000 things you could have done. I don't know how it, it, that would have turned out any differently, but... Um,
0: I did speak up to HR once about the abusive salesperson, and she ended up uh, actually quitting about six months after that. But not a whole lot changed as a result but of But see, the that's
1: the thing. The thing the thing about HR is HR is great in companies, but it's a third party. And yeah. to shift the power dynamic, it's most effective to do it... Um, what like directly one-on-one and and the other thing is that in um in situations where there's like a decorum or there's a protocol there is a way to dom somebody in a in an effective way that's softer that's still within the 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 framework that's acceptable like you I can't I can't have one of my students go to her go to her boss and lean over her desk and uh uh, stick her tits out and go, you like making me suffer, don't you? You like giving me the shittiest little position. You love watching me squirm. Does that give you pleasure? Would it give you pleasure if I suddenly collapsed at work? And you know, like it, that doesn't work. So, but definitely turning, like turning the tables, um, especially in terms of attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, I recently had a situation where um, actually there was a kind of a similar situation and, uh, the student basically found a way to put attention on her superior, ask a few questions about why she does the things, the, the why she does things the way that she does, mm-hmm. and then went sub and explained the impact of that and then made a request so that it was, so that it, there was like a, a feeling of acknowledgement, uh, a moment of reversal of power, and then an opportunity to move forward.
0: Wow. Well, this has been fascinating. So I have two more or less, two, two last questions for you. This is something I've been asking a lot of people about. If you could recommend one uh, book to our audience, what would it be? What's more, or what What one book has profoundly influenced your work in your life?
1: I'm not kidding when I say The Dog Whisperer, Cesar (laughs) Millan's book. If you read it from the angle, if you read it through a lens of uh, looking at human beings as being in the same predicament as dogs, Uh where you have, you know, you put a dog in a situation where they think that they're in charge, but they don't have what they need in order to lead the pack, which is basically what happens with dogs that are domesticated. Uh Um, It really changes your view about what a human being needs to do needs to have in order to do what they're asked to do and suddenly you're really grateful that you have language too that you can communicate with people and use that
0: Hmm. Well, I will have to add that to my list of of books to read Uh, (laughs) so one last question for you which is how we finish all our interviews the unmistakable creative what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable
1: that on every level they're broadcasting the truth of what they think and feel at that very moment, and that they're responding to the alive, ever arising impulse that comes through human beings, moment by moment by moment. You can't forget a person like that. You don't, you don't forget their names, you don't forget their faces. They're unmistakable. Because everybody everybody's a, like a, tuned to a different channel, and everybody has something that's uniquely theirs to say, and if they're with that on some level, you can't mistake them for anything else, and you can't forget them.
0: I love that. Well, uh, this has just been really fascinating and interesting as I expected it would be. Where can people learn more about you and your work?
1: Um, my website, uh, kashaurbanyak.com, which is K A S I A U R B A N I A K.
0: Cool. Uh, for everybody listening, we will link up everything in the show notes and we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative.
7: To increase its persuasive success. Right? Mm-hmm. And the, the set of factors that moved me from the original model of social influence that says you have to uh, arrange the content of your message correctly to get people to say yes to it, which I still believe. Right? But there was a new um, model as well that I started seeing evidence of um, that caused me to see this alternative way of creating change. And that was to essentially um, create a mindset in the recipient of a message that would be consistent with the message that hadn't even been encountered yet. But if it would be possible to put someone in a frame of mind that made that person attuned to the strengths of our subsequent message, that would produce genuine uh, traction, that would give us genuine leverage when the message eventually did occur.
0: Robert Cialdini joins us to talk about using principles of persuasion to make our communication more effective.